And welcome to another edition of Footnotes. Pastor Mark here along with Pastor Brady and Pastor Jake. And today we are talking about a topic that I think is going to be interesting and helpful to so many of our listeners. And it is doubting salvation. Do you doubt? Should you doubt? Can you doubt? I doubt we'll cover everything on this episode, but we're certainly going to try. So guys, there's a great book that I have on my shelf by Donald Whitney. It's called, How Can I Be Sure I'm a Christian? And in the opening chapter of the book, he gives this illustration. 1858, a steamship called Austria caught fire, sank in the Atlantic, killing 400 people. One survivor told how he and five Christian friends stood between the fire behind them and the water before them. They agreed at the end they would leap from the sinking ship together. When the time arrived, they joined hands, looked at each other, and just before jumping into the cold waters of the Atlantic, they expressed their confidence that in just a few moments, they would all meet together again in heaven. Now, that story told by Donald Whitney illustrates powerfully people who are sure of where they are going when they die. There are many people that are Christians, that profess to be Christians, that come to church, and they would love that kind of assurance that we just spoke about in that story concerning the Austria, but they don't have it. And, you know, they've they've asked the question of us. We've had conversations with people. How can I be sure I'm a Christian? I doubt. So what we want to do in this episode today is just try to tackle Three questions that we think would be super helpful. Number one, is it normal to have doubts about one's salvation? It's a very good question. Is it normal? Number two, what causes doubts concerning salvation? You know, what are what are the things that could aid in us doubting more and more that we're truly saved? And number three, what kills doubt for the true believer? who is truly in Jesus Christ. So we want to hit those three questions. Let's start. Number one, is it normal to have doubts concerning salvation? So who wants to tackle this? Well, Brady is looking at me, so I suppose I'll I'll jump in first. Uh, Yeah, it's very normal to have doubts concerning salvation. Uh, Now, that doesn't mean that everyone's going to have constant doubt every day and every week of their life, but it does mean that especially when you're going through trials or tribulations, you might have seasons of doubt, and I think it's the best way to think about it, seasons uh, of doubt. I really can't think of anyone that I know of that has never had any doubts at all uh, throughout their whole life regarding salvation, uh, usually in weaker trying moments, uh, and even pastors. have times where where we might doubt either the the goodness of God or doubt our own moral character. Usually that goes hand in hand with uh, any kind of sin issue that we might be struggling with. So I just want to say right off the bat, yes, it's normal to doubt, and you should not feel overly ashamed when you do have doubts. I think everyone at some point or another in the Christian life has wondered, am I truly saved? I mean, you've got to be dead if you don't ever question that. Brady, what would you say? Yeah, no, I'd agree. I think it's something we all wrestle with. I think it, we have to be careful. We we need to acknowledge that you know we all wrestle with this, but I also don't want to. I feel like we live in a culture that almost valorizes doubt. We almost put a badge of honor if you doubt everything, you know, almost the kind of the deconstructing movement of deconstructing your faith. And so there is kind of in our culture, we're living in a culture that really almost sees doubt as a virtue. Um, so I think we should acknowledge there is a real reality of, yes, we all kind of struggle in our in our frail flesh to doubt and to, tr- or to trust God perfectly. We don't. But I also think we shouldn't valorize doubt as if we should all, you know, we shouldn't strive to doubt, obviously. We, sh- we should, we wrestle with this reality, but um, it is something that, you know, we need to uh, wrestle with. 
Yeah, so it's not something that we should be proud of all the time. Yes, I doubt everything. Definitely normal, definitely something that we struggle with. Um, Here's a couple of things that I would add to that. I mean, first of all, doubt is not unbelief, and that's something we need to distinguish. So if you're doubting, am I saved, that is not the same thing as saying, I'm not sure I believe in Christ or in the Bible or in God. Those are two separate things. So doubting is not always unbelief. But I also think that it's not in any way abnormal. I have often said I'm concerned more about the person who never doubts their salvation than the guy or the girl who is often doubting. So someone who is conscious and concerned about their salvation, even if they're a little too sensitive— Sensitivity is a good sign of life. It means that you care. It means that you're awake. You're sensitive. Show me the person that sits on the pew week after week, is apathetic, could care less, and really doesn't seem to have any concern. You know, oh, yeah, I'm I'm a Christian. I got saved years ago. I did that. I'm more concerned about that guy. And there's a lot of those guys in the church that they never— ask the question, am I saved? They're never concerned, am I a believer? They just seem to be so apathetically content. And you think to yourself, okay, you're the guy that should be really concerned, and this person over here that's super sensitive should have a little bit more confidence. So it's funny how that plays out, but I'm always like, yes, it's very normal to have doubts. I've told people this, it's a good sign that you're sensitive and that you're concerned. To me, that says there is life in you versus if you never had that question. So when people come to me and say, I'm just struggling, I'm like, well, that's good. That means you feel something, and that's a good place to be. Yeah, it means that you have concern for the things of God. You are aware of your place and your sinfulness. it's the exact same thing, not only with adults, but also uh, with youth in the same way where, you know, it's very difficult to to figure out, uh, for lack of a better word, like the salvation status of, of each teenager because, you know, it's in that weird phase of a lot of them are maturing and thinking about serious spiritual things. And some of them were saved at a very young age. Some of them have never professed faith, and they're all dealing with kind of their uh, their idea of like, well, am I really saved? Or, you know, was I really saved back then? Or am I just now having doubts? Do I need to recommit my life? They're dealing with all those things. But it's always curious because to me, it's often youth that are bearing the most fruit and that I feel like have the most evidence are often the ones that are saying that they're struggling. Uh, and then there's other youth where sometimes it just seems like they don't give any thought uh, to God or the Bible or to salvation. And sometimes I, I want to be like, man, I, I really w- wish they would seriously consider their salvation. But like you said, sometimes it's it's those who have no concern or doubts. Those are the ones that we're most worried about. And those who might be uh, overly sensitive, I, I think is how you put it, are more sensitive to uh, their status and their sin in regards to God are, are the ones that sometimes I want to be like, you are bearing so much fruit, and, uh, you know, I, I'm telling you, I know you messed up, but that doesn't mean that, you know, that you've lost your salvation, or that doesn't mean that you haven't really been saved and you've revealed yourself to be an antichrist. So Whitney points out in his book that Charles Spurgeon wrote in his autobiography that while he had preached salvation to many thousands of people— that he himself at times had struggled even with his own assurance of salvation. Now, if you don't know who Spurgeon was, he was a Baptist pastor in England in the 1800s, one of the first, if you will, megachurch pastors, widely influential. His writings on sermons still exist today. Uh, He still influences pastors today. And uh, Brady often tries to look just like him with the beard, and uh, yeah, I think I think you can go for that. Either you're a rabbi, or you're a Spurgeon. Spurgeon had a nice head of hair, though. He looked like a lion with a mane, and I'm bald, so well, you could get a wig. I'm just saying. 
So anyway, uh, Spurgeon, you know, if he was a, a faithful pastor who preached the Word of God and he struggled with salvation, then it's it's real. It's reasonable for us to think, okay, maybe we would at different times of our life. Now, look, let me make a distinction. Okay, it's normal to doubt. It's normal to have doubts. It's possibly a very good thing. But if you are doubting every day of your life, you're struggling every day of your life, then perhaps you are not saved. I mean, there's always that possibility. We don't want to just give the assumption, oh, yes, everybody who doubts is saved. No, you you may not be saved, and you need to have that start you know, prayer, conversation, thought with yourself, with the Lord, with the Word of God, with other believers. But we're assuming people who have professed Christ, who are in the faith, who are walking with Jesus, having these doubts, that would be something normal. So let's go to number two. What causes these doubts within professed believers? What are some things that we would say cause doubt? So, for example, guys, it could be, and this is very legitimate, that the believer has unconfessed sin in their life, and that unconfessed sin is manifesting itself in doubt. So one of the things that I I hear often people who are doubting say, well, you know, I just went through this period of my life where I was not living for God, and I was so rebellious, and I just don't know if I was really a Christian. And they're struggling because of sin that was in their life, maybe during a period or, or maybe something they did, and perhaps, I mean, every situation is unique and different, but perhaps they did not, you know, confess that sin to the Lord or properly handle it. I mean, who knows? You know, I've seen the power of sin in a believer's life do all kinds of things. I, I knew a person who had unconfessed sin in their life. Uh, they had many years before had an affair, never told their spouse or anyone else about that, and that manifested itself into needing psychotropic drugs for depression. It it manifested itself in bitterness and anger towards their spouse who hadn't done anything wrong. I mean, this person had unconfessed sin in their life. It manifested itself toward the church. They began isolating themselves. Why? They had this sin in their life. They did not really deal with it. They didn't confess it. They hid it. They covered it, and it interrupted their relationships. Now, this person later came out and confessed this, and when they confessed, they said it was like a weight was taken off of my shoulders, and I no longer needed the psychotropic drugs. That's why I was taking them to deal with that and to deal with the pressure and I'm able to be free and honest. And this person said, I don't care what it costs. The freedom of being honest and coming before the Lord and telling the people that I need to tell has lifted this burden off of me. Now, it could be that there are people who have doubts about their salvation because there's something in their life that they're not dealing with. And we just got to be honest about that. That's not everybody. We're not saying that's everybody who doubts. But we are saying that could be a possibility. Yeah, that's a. It's not everyone, but it, it's a large enough percentage for us to mention it. Uh, that you know, often if, if there's unconfessed sin, or, or you know, sometimes people dealing with that, it's it's like they're running from God, and they've been running from God for for such a long time. They're trying to keep Jesus at a distance, and that causes them to to doubt their salvation. Um, I once heard it uh, put by uh, Doctor Bain, who's a professor at. Uh, Blue Mountain College. He was talking about uh, people doubting uh, their salvations and and how close or far apart sometimes we we want our walk with Jesus to be. And he said that oftentimes if a Christian commits a sin and goes unpunished, you know they they get away with it, so called. If no one finds out, if they they think they gotten away with it, that often causes them so much extreme distress because then they're trying to figure out. Well, wait a minute. If I'm a child of God, I'm supposed to be bearing good fruit. Um, how is it that I've kind of gotten away with committing this secret sin that no one knows about? Like, what does that mean? Why am I getting away with it? And, you know, he explained, well, it's funny because they think that they've gotten away with it. 
And then they're confused about why they're being so distressed. And he's like, well, that's a proof of the Holy Spirit is convicting them of that sin. And that's why they're in distress. And that's why they're having doubts. And that's why, as as you just described it, Mark, it feels like there's a huge weight on their shoulders. And it's because it's this unconfessed sin. And the closest thing they have to relate it to was the feeling of guilt and the burden of sin before their salvation. And so because they're under the conviction of sin, and perhaps the last time they felt um, to be under that large of conviction of sin was before their salvation, they then start to have doubts on whether or not they're actually saved. And it's like, no, a, a Christian can be under the conviction of weighty sin because saved Christians can still commit weighty sins. Yes. Yes, yeah, I think right. another reason is, you know, suffering. When we experience very traumatic things in life, you know, we um, get really sick or, you know, a loved one um, is suffering in a great way. We wonder kind of, does God love me? Am I am I saved? Is, sometimes we have this idea that the Christian life, everything will be, you know, uh, rainbows and lollipops for Christians. And so anytime something bad comes along, you know, is, is God angry at me? Am I even one of his children if this is, you know, what I'm going through in life? And so, you know, you read church history and different people and the things they go through, and a lot of times they'll they'll struggle with with their salvation and assurance when they are going through immense suffering. With whether it's not connected to their sin at all, they didn't do anything wrong. You know, Job didn't do anything wrong, and yet he's experiencing all these sufferings, and it's affecting you know his life. And so there's many op, uh, examples like that throughout church history where people kind of start to doubt, like, does God love me? And it's maybe not connected in any sin, but just what they're going through in life is so difficult. Suffering. Yeah, that's a great point because circumstances are not working out the way they want. They feel like God's against them. Surely I must be lost because if I were saved, I would get the best parking space at Walmart every time, right? (laughs) But I'm not getting that, and so I must not be saved. So that's a great point, suffering. And I like how you said you said something in lollipops. Oh, the Christian life is not rainbows and lollipops. Like, you know, there's a song by Leslie Gore. Do you know who Leslie Gore is? I do not. Okay, Leslie Gore was a 60s female pop artist. She wrote the song you probably know, um, It's My Party and I'll Cry If I Want To. But she also wrote a song called Sunshine and Lollipops. So let's all sing it together, <laughs> shall we? Sunshine, lolly. Okay, you don't know that song? No, I don't. Anyway, great, great artist. Really like her. She's fantastic. It's Judy's turn to cry. All right, so Sunshine and Lollipops is not always going to be on the radar, and Leslie Gore is not always going to be singing, and sometimes we're going to have to just deal with life, right? All right. Well, let's. Uh, what are some other reasons why we might doubt sin, suffering? Yeah. Um, well, to piggyback off what uh, Brady said, you know, even if it's not intense suffering, sometimes I feel like there's such bad teaching about the fruits of the spirit that people feel like if they're not always bearing all the fruits of the spirit in the way that they've been taught, and they think something's wrong. And I think joy is one of the the primary fruits that is often taught incorrectly where people will say like, hey, if you're not happy all the time, uh, then that means that you're not you're not bearing the fruit of the spirit. And you know, I know people who have doubted their salvation simply because they were told that they're not a joyful enough person all the time. And sometimes they are going through struggles or trials. And even if it's not anything major, it could be something like they just don't like their job. And because they don't like their job, they're not in a good mood when they get off work. But then every time they come to church after getting off work, someone's like, man, you just seem like you just don't have any joy. It's like, okay, don't jump to the conclusion that even if you're not satisfied in your job, that must mean that you don't have enough joy in your life, which must mean that you're not bearing the fruits of the Spirit, which must mean that you're not saved. But people do kind of run those rabbit trails sometimes. So, Well, something else, and I think it bears mentioning, we could, we could keep with the S's, right? Mm-hmm. So we said what causes doubt, sin, potentially unconfessed. You said suffering. But I would also say uh, strongholds. So like in the Christian life, you are going to struggle with certain sins that might be what 2 Corinthians chapter 10 refers to as stronghold. It's one of those persistent sins that that you might deal with the rest of your life. And a Christian might think, well, I'm a Christian, so I should not keep repeating, struggling with with whatever particular sin this is, right? So because they they are going through sanctification and they're growing, but it's not all being shed instantly, 
they might think, well, surely I can't be saved because I have this stronghold in my life. And I'm, I'm, I feel like more days than not, I lose versus win. Now, there's got to be some win. There's got to be some fruit. I'm not saying at all that you just give in to the stronghold and you give up. But I, I mean, I know my discipleship group, we, we were discussing this Tuesday, and the guys were talking about, we were in 1 John chapter 1 about confessing sin, and the question came up, as a Christian, I mean, how much sin, you know, I guess maybe the the question kind of was posed, how much sin is accurate? You know, how much <laughs> how much do we have? And and what if what if we can't what if we feel like we can't fight a certain sin? Like it overpowers us and we lose more than we win, you know, so so strongholds. And I, th- I think Christians have to understand you will you will battle with some sins all of your life. They may manifest themselves in different ways, but um, you you will. I mean, for some of you, it's going to be pride, and you're just going to have to constantly kill pride, and it's going to be a recurring issue in your life. For others of you, it'll be greed. You'll have to constantly kill greed, and then others, it's lust. I mean, you're going to have to constantly fight and kill lust. So it's almost as if some people think that the presence of sin disappears when we become a Christian. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Strongholds, I think uh, one thing, we, we can be quick to judge other people who don't struggle maybe in an area we struggle with, but all of us as Christians will still have, you know, even persistent sin that we're just prone to. You know, might someone might just, you know, Drinking and being drunk is just like, man, that's a temptation for them and the rest of their life. But, you know, that might not be a temptation that I face. And so we have to kind of have that, you know, grace with each other that, you know, yeah, when we get saved, that doesn't mean we'll never, ever struggle with sin, that we'll just be completely free from temptation and we'll never, you know, sin again. I think the idea of perfectionism that we will be perfect in this life is not one that the Bible teaches until we're glorified you know, um, in the new heavens and new earth and receive our new, you know, bodies will not, will still struggle with sin on this earth. So, Yeah, it reminds me of the, uh, that song, I think it was by Casting Crowns, the Stained Glass Masquerade. Um, it, it's something, it's a part of our American culture where for some reason, you know, the idea of confessing your sins uh, before the church and the idea of being open with your struggles is just not something that's really in the American church culture anymore. And so there is kind of this stained glass masquerade of everyone pretends to be a perfect Christian who never doubts, who never struggles, who never sins at church. And so if someone is struggling with sin, if they do have a stronghold in their life, from the outside, when they look at the rest of the church, it seems like no one else ever struggles with sin except for me. Therefore, I must really be lost. And I think that's kind of that seed of doubt. So it's a combination of there's a stronghold of sin in their life, but also they assume that no one else has any strongholds of sins in their own lives because that act of public confession of sins is something that we've lost over the centuries. You said casting crowns? I think it was casting crowns. Yeah, that's right. I know it was, it was Leslie Gore. All right. Well, they've, they've sang no, that just, song. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She's you, the lady I talked about uh, earlier. Of course, she didn't write that song. Sunshine. They looked at me like, "What?" I'm kidding. I, I, I've learned I to no just. Idea. I've learned never to question any of your trivia that you say because you just always end up being right. Take so it with a grain of salt. I would have been kidding. like, "Okay, they got that song from her." From her? <laughs> yes. No, they didn't. Totally kidding. All right. So. Anything else? Here's one other thing I would say under number two. What causes doubts? I would also add, and and Whitney points this out in his book, that the younger a person got saved, the more they seem to have doubts. And so that is just something worth discussing. And I know we have a whole podcast we just did on children and, and not hindering them and all of that. But what would you say, because you know, there's a lot of people that are coming to our church right now, and they're saying, I was saved when I was young. I'm not sure that I understood. I'm not sure that, quote, you know, basically it took whatever they mean by that. And then they'll talk about, you know, I went through this rebellious phase as a teenager, and now I'm back, and I just, I just think that I, I need to get, 
you know, rebaptized, resaved, whatever. So there is some of that. These people think that they were very young. Now, that's not everybody. I was saved young, and I I don't think that I had any issues. I think it, I was truly saved. Um, but I don't know what what about that because i think that also causes doubt the younger a person is pushed into that maybe by mom and dad they tend to have more and more doubts as they grow some of that is because they're growing and they're thinking and they're realizing things and that's okay yeah no i, I definitely see that in my own life you know I, I professed faith when i was 7 and i was baptized when i was 9 and i can look back and see me wrestling through things as a teenager I think the question that comes to my mind in that situation is, are you following Christ now, right? It's not, we don't point back to 20 years ago, you know, some date that we wrote down in a Bible and say, well, that's proof I'm going to heaven, right? It's like, well, is this person following Christ now? Are they believing in the gospel right now? And if that continues, that's right. That's your assurance, not just because of something that happened 20 years ago. I prayed a prayer one time. I walked an aisle 10, 15 years ago. Well, that doesn't really mean anything if you're not trusting in the gospel right now, right? If there's not fruit right now. And so I think sometimes we kind of put all this pressure into remembering this perfect moment that happened decades ago. But I mean, that might have been the point where you got saved or it might have been, you know, later in life. But are you following Christ now is the most important question, not trying to kind of calculate the exact time and date, because sometimes that's not even we don't even know, you know, the exact moment that it happens. But I think with young kids, the question I would say is, well, are they following Christ now? Or is it, well, is their life completely the opposite of that when we get into the question about fruit? Um, or is it, no, they've continued to profess faith. And so it seems like what happened when they're young has continued in their life. Or if there's, you know, they made this profession, but then, man, their life doesn't look anything like that. Then whatever happened at camp, you know, then we may think, well, maybe they weren't saved then. That was just a, you know, yeah, an act. Well, and I think, too, we put more emphasis on our feelings, like, mm. did I really believe? Did I really mean it? Was I sincere enough? And you don't really, when you read the Bible, salvation is not based on you. It's not based on your sincerity. Mm. It is not based on your prayer. It is not based on what you did. It's based on the accomplished work of Christ. So the question that we constantly need to ask ourselves is, am I trusting in the work of Jesus to save me, or am I trusting in my sincerity and my genuineness and, you know, my feelings to save me? And, I, and that when I realized that, I stopped a lot of the doubting in my younger life. I realized, look, it's not about what I felt or what I thought it's it's about was Jesus enough mm. you know so it's it's kind of like if if you you know if you got a letter in the mail from you know a, a dead uncle's lawyer that you never met the uncle and the lawyer says you're now a millionaire you know the the estate has gone to you and we're going to be sending you money i mean you may you may feel all kinds of thoughts like do I want to be a millionaire? Am I worthy of being a millionaire? You know, all these things you might think, you know, I didn't even know this uncle. Was I was I nice to him? Was I sincere? Who cares? It doesn't matter. The reality is that is now in your name. That account is now in your name, whether you feel like it is or not, whether you acknowledge it or not. Legally, it is in your name. And, and so in the same way, when we become a Christian, you know, we are declared righteous all the riches of Christ Jesus are now on us, and so we're declared righteous in Christ, and, and the wealth that's bestowed upon us is Christ alone. And it's not, how, how much did I mean this and feel it when I meant it? And I think that that faulty teaching of salvation, and that's faulty teaching, it's faulty in seminaries, it's faulty in evangelism classes, it's faulty at altars— when it's taught wrongly, we need to teach people, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus, his love, and his righteousness. And that's from the hymn by Leslie Gore. And so we need to, we need <laughs> yeah. to, she didn't write that hymn. We need, we need to trust, you know, that's a good hymn to, to call upon in your mind. And when you realize this is about what Jesus did, I'm trusting that what he did is enough and sufficient 
well, then a lot of doubt goes away. Yeah, and and I think that there's you know there's that healthy doubt of the believer trying to figure out like you know am am I really saved? And you can go through that searching process, and you can encourage them by reminding them of those biblical truths that you know well your salvation isn't dependent upon your feelings, dependent upon the work of Christ, the completed work of Christ. But then there's also that that kind of doubting, which sometimes people think that it's doubting, but it's not really doubting. It's someone really wanting to be saved and just expressing their desire to be saved. We see this a lot with youth where sometimes they'll think they're having doubts or even their their parents will think they're having doubts. But then if you just sit down with them and you just ask them plainly, well, was there ever a time where you you know committed your life to follow Jesus Christ? And they're like, well, no. Oh, well, have you have you been saved? And they're like, well, no. I'm like, oh, well, what you're testifying is that it's not that you're having doubts of your salvation. You're just coming to the realization that you've never been saved and you want to be saved. And that's a good thing and a great thing. It's it's that searching process. Sometimes we assume that any questions regarding salvation, and we just and we just put it in a big category of doubt. And it's like, well, no, there's a difference between doubting and there's a difference between wanting to give your life to Jesus, right? Like there, those are two different categories. And, and sometimes with just a sincere conversation, just sitting down and really just asking those exploratory questions, those things become obvious, and that distinction is is very clear. And so the reason I want to say that is because, you know, sometimes I think people are afraid to have those conversations and people are afraid to talk about those subjects because, again, in our mindset, and this is kind of going back to the, the first point in the question is, you know, we think that all doubt is sinful and we think that having doubt is wrong. And so sometimes people are afraid to admit that they might be having doubts, and really what they're having is a, really they're wanting to get saved, but they're not wanting to have the conversation because they're afraid that if they express that desire, people will claim that they're having doubts, and that's a bad thing. And so they'll just kind of keep their mouth shut. All right, well, let's go to number three. What kills doubt? So if you're a true believer, if you're putting your faith and your trust in Christ alone— then what would we say kills the doubt within a believer? So let's talk about inward signs of fruit and outward signs of fruit in the life of a true believer. So if you're a believer, here's some, some evidence. If you say, well, how do I know that I'm saved? Well, let's give you some biblical evidence. So inwardly, let's talk there first of all, guys. What are some things inwardly that we should be experiencing if we really have new birth in Christ? I mean, I think the fruit of the Spirit is a good place to start. Obviously, it won't be perfect, but if we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, then, you know, Galatians 5, uh, 22 to 23 talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Um, so those things should be growing in our life, right? That doesn't mean we'll never lose our temper, but you know, is is God making us more of a patient person? Is there is there fruit? Is there evidence of our personality becoming more like Jesus? Right. Okay. Yeah. Fruit of the Spirit, Galatians five, definitely something we should look for. Now, if we only see buds of the fruit, that's okay too. I, I tell people often there are seasons of your life where you will produce much fruit, and there's seasons of your life where seeds are planted, and you know there will be just a bud. But there has to be some measure of life there. So don't compare yourself to other people and say, well, they seem to be just fruit producing in their life. Okay, comparison is not what you need to do. You just need to say, do I see any evidence of the Holy Spirit in my life at all, inwardly producing those fruits of the Spirit within me? And a good place, if you go to Galatians 5, just meditate on that scripture what are the fruits that I should see? And it's very convicting, very convicting. So, okay, that's one thing inwardly. What else inwardly? I think one of the main uh, inward signs are, do you have a thirst uh, for God's Word? And, and there's no other way to put it, uh, I think. You know, the, there's so many promises uh, in Scripture regarding uh, the believer in God's Word, and it's this idea that we're we're hungry for it, we're thirsty for it, and also the Holy Spirit is illuminating it to us so that 
uh, we're able to understand it and comprehend it. And it's, it's good for us. It's more important than our daily bread. And so, you know, one of the signs that, that I would say is like, well, are you thirsty for, for God's word? Um, one of the books that, you know, traditionally is always uh, taught through or, or, or gone through whenever someone has questions about salvation, their place in, in the church, or if they're having doubts is First uh, John. And so, you know, it's one of those things where, hey, if, if you read First John and it encouraged you and admonished you and you were soaking up every word, like, that's a good sign. Like, it's that idea of, like, you're thirsting for God's Word. And when you read it, you feel like it's being illuminated. You feel like you're getting something out of it. It doesn't look like gibberish on a page. Yeah. First John is a great book. First John five thirteen. These things are written so that you may know that you basically have assurance is what John is pointing out in that verse. So the whole point of the book is assurance of salvation. So if you were to say, where could I go in the Bible Go to First John, and he points out key indicators of what a true believer is. And just read that and ask yourself, is that me? Am I yep. seeing that? You talked about illumination. So, yeah, I mean, there should be a thirst for Scripture, and that's First Corinthians chapter 2, where the Spirit teaches us the things of God. It's not foolishness to us. So if you don't have a thirst for God's Word, and there's not an inward illumination and desire for God's Word. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to understand everything all at once. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. You have to study to show yourself approved. And the more you study, the more Scripture will make sense. But until you get to that point, I mean, you just keep reading. There's a desire to be under the Word. And hopefully we see that in our people at Broadway you know, coming and saying, man, I love being under the Word. It's, you know, I'm thankful for that. I love being challenged in Scripture. You want that more and more, because what I've often seen all my life, there's always people that'll come to church. Church is a habit for some people, and a very bad habit, (laughs) you know, a very weak uh, hobby or habit to have, Uh, and they just come. It's like the expected thing to do, but when people start thirsting for the Word and they come because they want to grow, now that's when things start to change. And so, you know, true believers, you know, they love the Word. They're going to come where the Word is being preached. Unbelievers who are masking as, you know, believers, but they're false, they are going to go to churches that are not necessarily preaching the Word, but that are just giving interesting lectures and talks and motivational speeches and all that, they can be very content with that because they're not really thirsty for the Word. I'm not being critical. That's just it's just what you tend to see. So, yeah, those are inward signs that I think that we should be looking for. Anything else inwardly, and then we're going to move on to outward. Yeah, uh, Romans 8.16 is a fascinating verse. Um, it says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So there's some sense that the Spirit speaks to our spirit that we are children of God. So there's this kind of inner spiritual assurance that we should ask God, you know, if I'm saved, give me this peace, right? Give me this assurance that I am one of your children. And it just says there in that verse that the Holy Spirit will speak to your spirit that you are one of his children. All right. That's great. So the spirit of God should be stimulating you to some degree as you wrestle and work through that. Okay. Outwardly, what are some things that we could look for in our life? You know, Jesus says you will know them by their fruits. So when people say, how do I know that I'm saved? I seldom, if ever, point to a date or a aisle or this is what I said when I said it. Instead, I say, okay, Jesus says, you know, a good tree by good fruit, you know, a bad tree by bad fruit. What fruit do we see in your life? And so what are some spiritual fruit that people would need to be looking for in their own life? I mean, Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commandments. So again, that doesn't mean we're perfect, but is there any kind of yearning and desire that I'm trying to live my life under God's lordship, that I'm trying to, by his spirit and his grace, you know, live in submission to him as my Lord. Um, so if there's a dis, just a complete disregard for the commands of God, a unwillingness, a, you know, I'm going to love my sin more than what the Bible says, that's a red flag, you know, for me. 
That's yeah. what Jesus says. So, uh, so obey the commandments. Absolutely. That's an outward sign. I would add something else, another C, church. Now, I know that I work at a church, so people might say, well, that's a biased statement. But I, I personally desire to gather with saints at a church. And I personally am always looking for a true church. And not every place that claims to be a church is a biblical, healthy church. It's just not. You know, just because they hang the sign on the door doesn't mean that it's it's the healthiest church. When you're in a godly, healthy church, it's a sweet place. It's a taste of heaven, and you enjoy the fellowship. If you're coming at a compulsion, if you're coming because, you know, again, that's your habit, you're not going to want to be here. You know, you're going to be like, I'll come when I can. But a true believer that is in a healthy church wants to be around that fellowship. And that's always been the case with me. I mean, it's sweet. The example that I give, you know, and I I don't say this ashamedly at all. I'm glad that I'm saying this. You know, at my last church, when I went there, it wasn't healthy. But when I left, I feel like the Lord had done over 15 years, you know, a gracious work of God. And it was it was traumatizing in my heart to leave those people. Very, very difficult. Why? Because it was a healthy environment. I loved them. They loved me. We had fellowship around the word together. We had lived life together. And it was it was heartbreaking. And um, you know, I use the analogy. It, it was like I got I had to bury the love of my life and then remarry the new love of my life in the same week. I mean, that's about what happens with a pastor who loves the one church and then is committed to loving the next church, right? And so with Broadway, I knew I can love these people, and this is where God's called me, but they don't know me yet, and I don't know them, and we don't love each other yet. Now, we're committed, but we're going to grow in love, right? So we, we, we just started this whole process. And the Lord has been gracious. I mean, there's relationships that are forming um, two years in, relationships that are forming, and, and, you know, I'm starting to see some glimmers of hope, you know, that one day the Lord is going to make it to where there are deeper relationships in this body, and, you know, it's, it's fellowship, and that's where you want to be. You want to be around your family, and you want to enjoy that. It's, you know, and so church should not be a place, in my opinion, of compulsion or you know, duty, oh, I'm coming to church. It really should be like, man, that is a joy for me to come to my church. I don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss that. And when I have to miss, I'm burdened by that. I'm going to be completely honest. I see that with some of our members. I don't see it with all of our members. I mean, there's definitely a lot of people that have the attitude, I'll come when I can. You know, life's busy. And I'm, I, and I think to myself, well, then it, then, then we've not become what we needed to become just yet. Yep. But we're seeing that. We're seeing glimmers of hope of that. And so I'm not saying that critically. I'm just saying that's reality. You know, there's a joy in the house of the Lord, in the, in the true house of the Lord. And if you don't have that joy, I mean, I would say, going back to our subject, well, why not? I mean, why is this a burden and a duty for you that you're going to give when you're not doing other things? But a sign that you're tr- a true believer, you want to be around the fellowship of the saints. You will not forsake the assembling of yourself together with the saints. That doesn't mean you always have to be here at everything. doesn't mean that you have to be here every time the doors are open. But I don't think in America we're having that problem right now. I don't think we're having people overly zealous to be here every time the doors are open. I think we're having the problem in America where churches are just, you know, it's more of a burden than a blessing. Shouldn't be that way. Yeah, and and you know, in uh, in student ministry, we we really feel that because I mean, teenagers are so busy, and the parents of teenagers are so busy. There, there's some, you know, both parents have full time jobs. Add to the fact that you know they got teenagers doing multiple sports, and then you're also trying to spend time together as a family, and and that calendar gets full. But, you know, I'd say there's two different kinds of conversations that I have whenever families are asking. And even if they don't phrase it that way, what what they're really asking is, like, how often do we have to come to church? Like, that's really what they're asking. And and I think that for a family that is full of believers and that the parents are, are concerned and walking in faith, 
you know, they usually approach it with this burden of like, man, we we want to be in church as much as we can. But then sometimes you have conversations and it's almost the opposite. It was like, we're trying to figure out how many times we can miss. Um, and, you know, if there's any reason why we cannot be here, let's not be here. And so just to stick to our subject for, you know, these outward signs, if you truly have a desire to be in church and it really does grieve you to not be here, that's a good outward sign um, that you you care about those things because someone who really is lost, they're happy when they're not here. They're happy to be able to miss church. They're happy on the proverbial golf course or the hunting lease or, you know, yeah, we've got a we've got a tournament and it doesn't bother them. It's like we're just not going to the habit that we go to every other Sunday. But a believer is really one who wants to congregate, gather, and be committed. What are some other out- outward signs that we deal with um, that just show we love the Lord, that the Lord loves us, that we're saved? So we said, um, you know, there should be— Commandments. The commandments. There should be the church, the gathering of the saints. What else? I'd say evangelism uh, would be another sign, even if you— uh, personally aren't the one who's uh, preaching the gospel and leading others uh, to faith in Jesus Christ, there should be that desire on the believer to want to see others come into the faith. And so uh, I think one of the outward signs is a genuine believer is constantly going to be inviting people to church, is constantly going to be wanting to have these spiritual conversations, is they're wanting to see people in their circle come to faith. But someone who is not a believer doesn't care if their co-workers go to church or are saved. Someone who is a believer is burdened by if their co-workers go to church and are saved. And so I think that's a good outward sign for um, how passionate are they about evangelism at whatever level that they are equipped to do. Yeah, that's good. I would add service, right? We talked a, f- what, a few weeks back about spiritual gifts. And if the Holy Spirit is in you and he's given you a gift, then you are compelled by love for Christ and his church to serve the body. And so a healthy believer should want to get involved and serve, whether that's picking up trash, whether it's, you know, uh, welcoming visitors, whether it's serving in the nursery, they would want to do anything for their Lord. And so there should be this hunger to serve. And again, if you have to, you know, compel someone with a, a stick to, to serve, then there may not be life there. You know, a believer, a healthy believer will want to serve. That's just, that's what we do. Yeah, absolutely. So all of those are potential outward signs. They're certainly not exhaustive. I mean, we could go on and on talking about what are signs. Our admonition to you would be read the Scripture. I mean, there's plenty of examples. You know, the Psalms, Psalm 119, where David says he loves the law of God. First John, right? We're walking in the commandments, walking in the light, loving the brethren, right? Fellowshipping with one another. Galatians 5 that we talked about, the fruit of the Spirit is. These different things are happening in my life. So hopefully what a believer can do is look for those evidences of God's grace, And that's what it is. It's all given to us by God. The Word is given to us. The Spirit is given to us. The fruit is given to us. But we are commanded in the same vein to walk, right, and to to do something with what God gives us. So we're not passive. We, we work and we live and we, we do our work as unto the Lord. So hopefully if we, if we examine ourselves, then we'll find, yes, I'm alive. I see signs of life. And now one other thing about examining yourself that I just want to add in there, and I've heard this put, um, this is how Joel Strahan, the, the pastor at Slayton Baptist Church, puts it, and I, I think it's just a perfect illustration. It's that when you're evaluating your life, you don't need to take a snapshot. Don't take a single still picture of one moment of your life and try to evaluate it. Pretend like there's a TV documentary series and over the course of seasons and years and decades of your life, okay, your character, are they becoming more like Jesus or less like Jesus? You're evaluating that whole process of sanctification because you're going to have a day where, man, you're looking like the perfect Christian. And then you're also going to have a day where you're just acting like a complete reprobate. Taking a single still picture or image of your life is not going to give you the whole picture. You need to evaluate that process of sanctification. You need to take a large wide scope uh, view and evaluate how you've been changing over the years because 
Again, that's what the Bible describes, that process of sanctification, that process of becoming more holy, looking more like Jesus. Yes, my wife used to always tell me, and so this rings in my ear, she would say, never judge a man by the moment. And she got that from her pastor, Adrian Rogers, who said, never judge a man by the moment. And he got that from Leslie Gore. And so, ladies and gentlemen, on that note, we hope that we have helped you think through doubting your salvation. This episode today, obviously, was brought to you by Leslie Gore and her many songs that she sung in the 1960s. Also, I've got to give credit because the idea for this podcast came through two of our church members who were talking to me last night around the dinner table at our Wednesday night Bible study, and they said, hey, you should do this topic. And so Sherry Patterson and Leslie Nowell, thank you for sponsoring this episode today and giving us the topic and for our great secretary, Kina, who says, oh, I like that topic. You should do that topic. I always run every topic by her, too, because she tends to have good ideas and she'll tell me, "Mm, do that one next week. And so there we have it, ladies and gentlemen, our podcast and our wonderful sponsors. And so on that note, we will leave this party and cry if we want to, right? Cry if we want to. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Footnotes Podcast, a podcast hosted by the pastors at Broadway Baptist Church in South Haven, Mississippi. For more information about our church, please visit broadwaychurch.org. And if you have any questions or comments or would like to submit a topic for a future episode of Footnotes, please email us at footnotes at broadwaychurch.org, and we will try to work that in. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Take care. Take care.